G'day everyone and welcome to Life in the Peloton. We're back here again, brought to you by Rafa. This episode, I'm talking to Alec Briggs and he may not be the most well-known name in the cycling world, but the Londoner is truly a great cycling personality and one of the most passionate guests I've had on the podcast. He's an amazingly talented cyclist himself and he's the founder of the Techers CC. You're going to find a little bit more about that in the episode coming up. His outlook on cycling is just great. I love what he can see in the cycling world and what he takes about it and how he's created his own team, Techers. This is a big reason why I connected with him so much. He really understands all aspects of cycling and that's what we talk about in this episode. Sure, the power, the technique, but the love of it. The environment that you're in and the club culture, the people that you need around you to support you as you come up through and continue on in your life. He really is a true Londoner and I love getting into that too, how cycling has evolved over the years in London and how it is actually really growing strong at the moment. Speaking of London too, you hear me speaking about Rafa and what they're trying to do and what they've created over the years, this culture, this love for cycling. We'll take it from Alec firsthand and hear what he has to say about it. If you go on like an event they organise and they get someone together and they the diversity and culture that you see in various different subcultures come into one hub in the centre of London is unmatched. Like they're doing a sick job, man. Like I genuinely, I'm always like, wow, this is impressive. And I think Rafa have a big part to play in that. Like, you know, it's like with who they support and then who they help support and how they capitalise on that in terms of like providing more opportunities for everyone to get into it. Like what they're doing is actually top tier, man. I'm here for it. I'm not going to say too much more about this episode. Sit back and enjoy this one. This is a really great chat. He's a great personality and someone I got on with really well. He even turns the mic on me for a little bit too. So guys, I'm going to bring you Alec Briggs. Well, I'm sitting back here with Alex Briggs. We're on the podcast. He's having a bowl of cereal. I'm just having a nice cold beer. Couldn't be further away from each other in terms of time of the day and places. Alec is sitting over in London. I'm sitting here in Melbourne. Mate, welcome to the podcast. Been wanting to have you on for a little while now. Thanks, man. It's uh, it's nice to see you and your mullet. It's all good. It's been a while, but it's worth it, right? It is. Yeah, it's been, we, we caught up over in London um, and I met you there and we had a sit down just for a, we're supposed to have just have a little five minute chat but we ended up just chewing each other's ears off for about an hour i was like god i should have had the microphone on this would have been an amazing conversation but of course sometimes those conversations are better because the microphone isn't on but let's recreate that today and let's let's find out a little bit more about you if that's all right yeah the thing is i can't i think i'm gonna want to ask a lot about you as well though. is that all right because i know i know i've probably got questions that i haven't been asking for for you and they're going to be like oh i can't really, <laughs> <laughs> I can't really say that and i'm like hey man you're retired no, no holding back let's go it is no holding back i have noticed a difference it's weirdly like you feel more comfortable you know taking the gloves off and having a bit of a dick now about saying that stuff that um you never once i know you sort of felt restricted to say i never really felt it when i was professional that i couldn't say it but now you just speak a bit more freely yeah yeah good on you i'll read that anyway let's talk about you let's talk about where you're from um, Lewisham in South London. Now, is that even how you say it? <laughs> Lewisham. That is how it's called from now on. It's Lewisham. <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> I was like, what did he just say? <laughs> um, Lewisham from London. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like South East London. It's um, it's a cool area, man. It's got like a lot of culture to it. it. Had like you know, it's got this big, massive Catford Cat statue. And when you get there, you're like, what the heck is that? And that is like. That's the heart and soul of Lewisham right there, the cap and cap. But uh, yeah, man, South East London, it's, it's actually a bit of a breeding ground for like world tour cyclists now. Uh, you got like, all the haters going there, Red Riot, all them boys, man. Like London's popping off and it's quite sick. And obviously like Teo and like even Wigo set the, set the bar. But yeah, South East London's representing these days. It's pretty cool, man. Well, let's talk about the geography of South East London in comparison to say East London where Teo's sort of from... Is it better for riding there? What is breeding and what for you when you came up? Like, what's a sort of nice for cyclists in that area? What's the sort of culture difference, if you could say it? Or Because I did speak to Taylor a long time ago, a few years ago, and that was something that really interests me about growing up in a big city like London and becoming a cyclist. And he talked about riding across the criteriums and doing different things like that, that 
in a big city he was able to make happen what was for you being in the south london compared to say tail or someone else that you know that maybe is on world tour see i'm a pretty bad example for this yeah because when i was a kid i just i never went out on rides I, I still i still hardly do and um but the thing is now what's 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 nuts is that living in southeast you can get to like croydon and surrey and kent and all these places and there's like all these kids have now got like these massive group rides which go out for like four or five hours. So now it's like incredible. But when I was a kid and there wasn't really like many other cyclists around, I'd be riding around like London Bridge going, yeah, trying to bang out two hours in traffic or just like going around red and red lights and stupid buses and stuff. I was so dumb as a kid. But anyway, like now it's amazing. Like the racing is crazy. You can just go to like, in Southeast alone, we've got like Herne Hill Velodrome, like Crystal Palace Crits. Like there's all these races popping off, like cross races, mountain bike races. And then if you want to go like the other side of the river, there's like more, even more crits, man. It's crazy. Like truthfully, I reckon being as a kind of cyclist I am, where I just like race crits and like kind of do my own weird thing, which isn't anywhere near world tour. Like being in London is the sickest place to race a bike. Like you just do anything. And I don't think you can do that anywhere else in the world. But for riding, not the best, but for racing, it's amazing. Well, let's talk about your little upbringing through sort of the racing riding scene because you had a little bit of a different way and you just mentioned Crystal Palace there and also Herner Hill, which has been sort of special to you. These two clubs, I want to talk about the club culture in London. Um, a little bit in Australia, look, I've got no idea about Europe because I just, I guess I didn't really look into it when I was there. But Australia, the club culture, especially for me, is really important. That was a place that I'd go to for advice and somewhere I still hold deep in my heart after all these years like I want to go back to Brunswick Club it's a place that I had really good culture there and give back to that club now tell me something about when you came through you said you weren't really like a a trainer or someone to go out and do bunch rides but the club culture for you was pretty important wasn't it like in going down to these these places to ride and to race and just to to meet different people yeah man completely I think if if it wasn't for club culture and the people that was within them there's no way I'd be like riding and racing bikes today. Like, for example, at Hernhill alone, there's like a mountain bike youth club and then there's uh, VCL, which is like, has a kids team and then also is like an adult club, which fries, you know, and produces amazing talent constantly. Mm. And um, yeah, man, it's just all over London. Like, I can think of like four different clubs within a five mile radius of me, which like all have their own sort of separate way. It's kind of like, you ever seen that movie, The Warriors? Mm. and they've all got their different gangs and everyone's kind of got their different flex yeah. do different stuff like that's kind of like what London's like you know obviously no one's like running around mashing each other up but on <laughs> everyone's like super cool with each other but yeah the, the club culture in London is is really really lovely man um, like for example like Hernhill Youth like I started mountain biking with them when I was like nine years old just around the back of a velodrome on like some some bus up off road trails and the people I met there uh, I'm still in touch with like today, you know, and like, for example, like Ben Tulip, like came from his run for Ineos now. Like I met him and like his brother and his dad and his dad like lent me bikes for free, even gave me a bike when I was a kid. And like, everyone was just so nice, man. And just seeing all of those people do so well and like get to the top and like have all have a part to play in it. I think that's just amazing. And you can't, you can't buy that, you know, it's just so sick. Well, what about Hearn Hill? Like, yeah, like, this I, I didn't really know about this and I, I knew you were down there and I, was, I did a little bit of research it's one of the oldest tracks in the world built in 1891 had the summer olympics there in 1948 I was just like well, is that right and between 1987 and 2011 it was the only track in London I love that so everyone was forced to go down there a big 450 meter track um, the center the center's used for cross racing Brad, Brad Wiggins started there I had a look at some pictures it just looks like an epic track, and the old, the old, um, the old grandstand only recently got pulled down to sixteen. What was that like? Because you would have been there pre that. What was the what was the feeling like of that track? There's so much history there. Man, I've seen that track go through like every point of like almost closing. It did close for a couple of years, so now it's like thriving more than ever. Um, and yeah, I've like, seen the old grandstands. I've been in the old grandstand. Then it got shot because it had like asbestos and like mad pigeons living in it. And then they got like pulled down, they made this new one. Everyone's like, but no, honestly, that, that place is, it's gone through everything. And like to see it thriving now and like getting better and better and just facilitating 
everyone like when i say everyone i mean like you know people that are like less able like uh the wheels for life foundation like there's just like they're making sure everyone can ride a bike in some sort of way and then it's like catering for world tour riders like world tour riders in the winter come back and train there you know like we've got a chain gang on a wednesday night and it's like he's banging around with like a couple guys in like you know ineos and Bahrain kit or whatever and there's like the kids looking up to them going oh yeah sick and like you know you see that kid like maybe riding around in like an, an old jersey of theirs and stuff and it's just it's a beautiful place man like I, I, that is cycling for me you know like it's it's full circle in a way like everyone's stoked on it it's yeah man I, I think like when the when it almost shut when I was like 13 I think it shut for like, a couple of years and they were trying to find funding like you kind of it was like a a hole was just left open you know you're like what do I do now like being kind of like I think there's cyclists you always kind of a little bit weird like I'm reason I'm currently kind of going through the idea I might have ADHD and stuff and like trying to work out what that means and like in my head you know school was a miss like I was just living in my own head constantly so like sometimes you just sit in like a bit of a daydreamer and like you miss out on like social situations and friends and stuff when I went to cycling and like went to Herne Hill like, everything made sense man like everything was just you know I could focus there I just loved it I was just involved in it and then when that shut it was a bit like oh man that's like a piece of me is just gone and when it came back open and it's now it's thriving more than ever like to be honest I go there more than ever now like a lot of my friends are from there like yeah I've got lifelong friends from that place and it's like it's, there's no way I could live without that place in the moment you know what I mean is it is it like that for all sort of Londoners um or is it just more special for the people who decide to make that but everyone that you know who's a cyclist goes yeah that's the same feeling I have for that place or is it just more special for you I, I don't know man I think I'd be wrong to say it's, it's more special for me I think everyone probably has their own relationship with it and I think what's so great about it is that it's such a diverse facility that everyone can have their own relationship with it you know it can be the place where they just go hang out and watch races like what's mad after COVID everyone wanted to get out of the house right and they had like the Wednesday night track league and all you could do was go down and like watch Wednesday night track league so you're racing around just like this like grassroots race league with like world tour riders in it and like hundreds of people watching with like sold out tables and stuff and you're like this place is nuts man this is in the heart of london and it was like this is what cycling almost used to be like when we didn't have tvs and phones and shit it was it was so good man. and um yeah i think like some over the last couple of years for sure some people have just like made it a place to hang out they don't even ride there so yeah it's, it's a cool place man it's it's not especially honestly if there was like only i wouldn't even joke when i say if you come to London, come down and watch a race evening there. Like just one Wednesday evening and you'll be like, yeah, yeah this is actually sick. I get it now. It's like something you can only just do. Just to feel the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. It's just that hype of like grassroots, gone full circle. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone wants everyone to do well thing. It's just, yeah, it's wicked, man. It's a good, it's a good vibe. So then how do you come to cross? We're talking about track cycling now. And I did mention that cross was running the center of that track. I don't know how often. I only just read that. Let's talk about cross because cyclocross that is. You're quite good cyclocross rider. Um, it's quite a skillful sort of um, cycling discipline. And I'm going to speak for Australians now. It's not a common thing for young guys to follow. And uh, maybe different in UK, you can tell me, but it's not that easy to follow. There's not really the pinup guys as much as say the road or the track, especially in Australia. So it's quite different for someone to pursue cyclocross early in their sort of growing up how's that how'd that all come about for you man i like i completely agree with what you said in terms of like pursuing it and stuff because when i was a kid right i didn't really have a clue about it i just liked doing it and i think what's great is that Herne hill was like yeah you guys can do like cross in the winter so instead of like riding your mountain bikes around the back they go if you've got a cross bike bring it and if you don't you can loan one of ours so that's kind of how i learned what cross was and you go to like local races and stuff and it got to the point right like where um I went to European champs and I was like with like the team and stuff and um, the world champion went past. I went, oh, who's that? And everyone started creasing and laughing at me. And I was like, bro, I don't know enough about this sport. <laughs> I was like, I'm just here, man. Like, I don't know what's going on. That's the world champion, you idiot. I'm like, what the hell is a world champion? You know? <laughs> like, it was so dumb. Um, so like, I totally sympathize with that, that kind of thing of like not following it. It's hard to follow and stuff. But now on the internet, you can just watch stuff online so easy. It's, it's a lot easier. But yeah, Started across at Herne Hill, and they basically use a, like a lot of the centre because it's like a big 400 meter track, right? Like you can fit a lot in there, 
and then they've got the, the trails around the back so like you kind of hop over the track and then go and do trails and come back mm. center it's sick man it's like proper cool and um down the road in crystal palace it's like they had the world champs there like 19 something i don't know when but they're thinking about bringing the world cup back there this year so like wow even like london like cycling across in london is like popping off now um and even in britain i guess like when you look at riders like tom pickock right and dan dan tulip and ben turner like them guys like changed the game because when they started like winning junior world medals and then elite medals, everyone started taking more notice across. Like the funding went into it and stuff, and it became more popular. Yeah, but when I was a, when I was a kid, I was just like, cross was still a bit of a weird kind of niche sport, you know. Like the roadies did it in winter, and the roadies are usually good at it because not many people did it. But now you got actual cross riders when they're juniors. Like that's yeah, that's sick, man. I think it's great. So to see that sport thriving, banging, and I think yeah, from London, that's happening. Like Ben Tulip, he was a junior world champion. Like he grew up in London, riding around Herne Hill. It's mad. And like, like you say, like it's almost the opposite now. Good cross riders are just becoming roadies. You know, like you see these guys, you think these are these guys are going to be a force to be reckoned with when they decide to go onto the road. You know, it's not the other way around like it used to be. Like with what was Roger Hammond? Roger Hammond being the sort of the first pinning pin-up guy from the UK that I know of yeah. from cross. Was he a road rider going back to cross or started in cross and went the other way? Well, I, I don't really know, man. I'm a bit too oblivious to know. I'd have to ask someone, but like, as far as I know, yeah. junior world champion, you know, he's obviously freaking sick. I don't really know if he did that on the road as well, but then what was his best result? And like, like his standout result for me as a senior was like, um, I think he got like fourth at like Paris Bay one year or something. And that's all I remember. Mm. So like for me in my head, he's a bit more of a cross rider. I've only ever seen photos of him like banging cross. And there was a coach that was like really, really good and helpful and still is like working with all the young riders called Stuart Blunt. And like, you know, he was always telling tales of like racing Roger Hammond and stuff. So yeah, in my head, he's a cross rider, but I, I don't know, man. Like I said, I didn't even know who the world champion was and I went to European champ. So. so what happened there with you then in terms of that next step to the road, you know, the typical sort of step that a lot of young guys do this, it's track or it's maybe cross and then it's road. And for you, it wasn't necessarily that step per se, you know, later on in your career, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but Red Hook Criteriums was there, but... What was the next sort of thing for you after this cross sort of pursuit? Were you, was it mountain biking? Was, you know, what was sort of interesting you there? And what sort of stopped you then going down the, okay, I'm just going to go over to Europe and race some Kermises in Belgium and, you know, get in the academy or whatever it is. So um, when I was like a kid, right, I wanted to be a mountain biker. But because of Herne Hill, I always did like a bit of like Crystal Palace crits or, you know, track at Herne Hill and whatnot. So I always kind of did a bit of everything, but I love riding mountain bikes and cyclocross the most. I, for some reason, like, I was really good at riding a mountain bike, but I sucked at racing one. Like, I just couldn't do the power numbers and all those kind of what, even though we didn't have numbers back then, you know, I, mean, I just get left for dead after like five minutes on a fire road. And um, yeah, and I started doing cross. And then basically what happened with me is I was pursuing a, like a, a professional cycling career you know but i just kept getting ill all the time i, didn't, I think i was just going out burning a candle at both ends you know like fomo and all that kind of stuff and i ended up just basically burning out so fomo for everyone out there like me who doesn't know what that is uh it's a fear of missing out this is this is how dumb i was right there yeah? this is stupid so i would be like trying to be like in my head i'm going to be cycling cross world champion my first junior since roger hammond i'll go out to a party with my mates and then like you know you know such stupid stuff happens like paint lands on your face or something like that and I wouldn't go to sleep and then I'd go out on the training ride like the next day. And then like a week later, I'd be like, why am I ill? I don't understand. Why Why can't I race this race I'm re- I need to do now? And uh, that was kind of why I basically didn't make it in any any way or shape or form. And then I, so I went to university and just like kind of wanted to be a cyclist still. I went to university to buy myself some time so I didn't have to like go and work and blah, blah, blah. And um another year went by of me just like hardly sleeping going out didn't really ride a bike at all got back from uni went I freaking hate university I'm, I'm just not an academic person I hate this and um, when I'm just start riding my bike again and then a couple years later roll on super fast started getting back into it a bit met this dude who was like riding a fixed gear bike around London saw him like drifting his bike about any brakes I was like bro what are you doing this looks jokes and um, his name is Rafa Makara, this Italian dude who just came to London. I met him a couple more times. You just ran into him? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is, I just, 
people ask me, oh, you know, like, how do you meet the people you meet? It's like, when you see someone doing something mad, just go say yo. Or like, you know, just don't be like weird about it. But like, it's nice just open up conversations sometimes. And um, I just, I went past him. I went, <laughs> I just went, that's sick. And just like spotted him. And, you know, like left, never saw him again for like, you know, a couple of weeks. And saw him at a race. I was like, you're that dude that was riding a fixed gear bike around London, right? And like, yeah, yeah, mad. And then the next time I saw him, I think he saw me race at like Crystal, um, at Hearn Hill. And he came up to me afterwards. He's like, yeah, I'm doing this thing called Red Hook Crypt. You like, do you want to come do it with me? And I was like, what year is this? This is 2015. So I'm like 20. He was like, yeah, just, just come, come do this. Like we can like pay for some flights and stuff. And you can just like come race with us. I was like, that sounds sick. And I was like, he said, it's like MotoGP on bicycles. I was like, man, that's like my dream job. The reason I got into riding bicycles is because I watched motorbikes on the, as a kid and I wasn't allowed to do that. And I was like, next best thing is a bicycle, right? Like, I was make the engine noise in my mouth as a kid. Like, wow. But <laughs> that's pretty much what happened. And then um, I did this Red Hook Crit thing. And I was like, this is sick. And then we just, I just kept doing that. And then one thing led to another. Got chatting to more people. All of a sudden I was getting paid to do it. I was like, this is mad. And then I went, I just want to keep doing this. This is sick. And then set up my own thing because I didn't want it to stop. And now I'm here. So yeah, that's kind of how it works. Well, well, hold up, hold up. There's a whole lot of stuff you've skipped over there. Let's go back to Rafa. Raf, uh, um, tell me how he actually saw that talent in you because I think there's a step in between meeting him and actually going, hey, come to Red Hawk. Because he, he hasn't seen you race ride a, ro- a, a fixed gear bike outside of the track, I'm imagining. How did this all come about? How did he see the talent in you? I don't, I don't know, man. It's just, you know, I, I guess I saw him at some crits and then he saw me going all right in like a, in a, cause oh, this is it. So Ethan, right? Ethan was a junior at this point, Ethan Hater. And um, oh, this is, they had like a flying 200 meter sprint in the Madison. And then I did the fastest time beating all these like sick kids in a, in a Madison. And I think maybe they must've just started to stop watch like a little bit too late or something, you know? But anyway, I came out with the fastest time and I was like, geez, that was pretty sick. And then um, <laughs> the rapper's like, yeah, quite fast, eh? And then uh, comes and says, yo. And then, yeah, next time he's like, yeah, you want to come try it? So I get my track back. I come down and meet him in Crystal Palace Park in like the car park section. And he's like, yeah, we're just going to like go around these like corners around these cars and then we'll just go in for it. And I was like, I'm really about to just ride my track bike on the road with no brakes on this fat gear. And just, it was mad. And I did it. And within like two laps, like I tried overtaking him on the corner and I got him. And he looked at me and he went, oh, okay. <laughs> and that was it. He was like, yeah, let's do this. And honestly, like, like I, I, I owe him so much for what he opened up for me. Cause man, like me and him are like brothers now. Like he's, we just got on so well. He's, he's such a cool guy. And all the guys on that team, they started their own team, like called back to back racing. And they had like a little bit of like sponsorship money from like Oakley and stuff. And it was just like kind of running on a string. But it just looked cool, man. Like, it was just different. It was different to normal cycling. It's like... Mm. Well, just before you go on, I need to go back a few steps because people might be listening going, what is this Red Hook Kicks? Even to a, to a degree, I'm sort of like, I know what Red Hook is in terms of it's a, it's a fixed gear bike, no brakes, racing around, crazy circuits. That's sort of all I know. Tell me a little bit about what a Red Hook crit is in terms of that exactly. Explain to... A dummy's guide to a red hook crit. Explain to the gomads out there, like me. All right, got you. So, uh, red hook criterion is a standard criterion, which is usually a very short, tight technical circuit, about one kilometer long, often in town centers or cities. And normally you do them on road bikes with brakes and everything. But there's this dude called David Trimble who went, you know what, for my birthday, I want us to run a little short circuit around some blocks with 10 of my mates without any brakes or gears and we can't stop pedaling and we just got to work out how to do it on fixed gear track bikes. Why the hell would they want to do that? Because they're smart. They're great. <laughs> doing, doing dumb stuff is fun, man. Like it, it opens a world of opportunity. It's just like when you're a kid, it's like, why am I going to send it down the big hill on a skateboard? Because it's fun. And it's just like, I love these people, man. Like they, they make my life so much better. So like this guy is just like, yeah, we're going to do this. And then the next next week, next year, he's like, yeah, let's do that again. And a couple more people show up. And then like, oh, shit, you're not, man. It's like three or four years later. Like, people from Italy are coming there. I've got to get a piece of that action. 
and they're like coming and all of a sudden it's like this international sporting event with like millions of pounds of investment like Rockstar we make Grand Theft also are the lead sponsors it's like this you can't make this up man it's just unreal so David's like made this happen and there's people from like world tour riders to some fixed gear messenger to a guy that's never ridden a bike before entering this race to try and qualify for the final and what's mad what's mad about it all is that you think okay a world tour rider is going to turn up and just rock this stuff no they were like coming like 10th, 15th. And they were like sitting there going, oh, I, don't, I don't understand. I'm like the strongest rider in the world compared to these guys. But these guys just had this like way of riding their track bikes, kind of almost like you ride like an F1 car, drive an F1 car. Like you have to hit your braking mark. It's a different skill. It's still it's still cycling, but it's a different skill. It's just you know? a different sport. Yeah, it's like, so you've only got one gear. So you have to be really good at like accelerating that gear, pushing it, you know, off the line but then also like spinning really quickly. And then what's mad is that when you're at like maximum velocity and cadence, you see a corner coming up and you've got to be like the last one to break. So you get used to like locking your back wheel and skidding to a halt by just using your legs. And then whilst all that's going on, you've got to turn a corner whilst still pedaling and not fall off or crash into anyone else. And like all of that together just made this mad, unique sport, which you think wouldn't be that much different to normal cycling. But I can't tell you how bad it is. Yeah, it's mad. It's just like when Rafa said to me, it's like MotoGP on bicycles. I was like, bro, come on. It is. It's the closest thing you can do. Like, I've ridden a few motorbikes on a few track days now. Like, the stuff is the same. If you miss your braking marker, you're off in the gravel, you're off in the wall. Like, typing like red hook crashes or something, the crashes are insane. That's enough to make anybody interested in the sport. I've seen people hit walls, snap their bikes in half. It was mad. It's just, it was, it's so, it needs to come back. What about the gear selection, that sort of thing? Is it similar to the track? Are you choosing different gear ratios? Are you putting lock rings on there so you don't wind the gear off when you're braking? What about the tech stuff? Like, what are you riding? Fast wheels or low wheels? Like, I don't know. Is it is it technical like that or it doesn't really matter? I think what's great about it is that it was so new at the time that it, it still doesn't really matter. And like, yeah. you know, you kind of, you rode what you rode on the street. And um, as for the gearing, like the gearing went up for like a race, but like the equipment that you use to like be a bicycle messenger in the streets of New York or London or whatever, was mm. like, that was sufficient to race this race. And like, that's mad. And what's good is that, you know, you don't want like a four grand track frame to go and do that. You want something that's like actually agile and it's probably like a 400 grid frame with like some wheels that you don't really care about that get mashed up. And, you know, it kind of, it was just a bit of a level up. Like it kind of made, okay, here's like road racing where people are banging around like nine ground bikes with like crazy aerodynamic R&D and whatever into them. And then you go, well, here's a track bike. Like good luck getting that aero thing around a, a turn. You know, like you want something that rides good and you just feel good on. And I think it just kind of stripped back cycling and just went, yeah, man. Like it's almost like, it's almost like Lords of Dogtown stuff. You know, it's like, nah, man, just like go out and ride it. Go do your own thing. And I think, there was kind of that element of it in Red Hook. It was like this kind of raw, open book, like where you could just, you could approach it how you wanted to. And I think that's so abnormal in cycling nowadays where there's so many traditions and like snobbiness and that kind of stuff. Red Hook just ripped that up and went, do your thing, do it well and have fun. And that was, that became like a world followed sport very quickly. And I think that kind of you know, goes to show how cool it was. That's a really good segue because I could keep talking about Red Hook but there's a really good segue for me because I've sort of tried to set up exactly how this next phase of your life has happened, who you are, these different things, the skill set on the bike, but also the mentality that you have. Tell me a little bit about Tekkers, Tekkers Cycling Charisma. Firstly, that is your team. And what does that mean? What does that name actually mean? Where does that name come from? Techers. Well, in in the UK, I'm sure everyone's listening to this going, yeah, techers, mate. We all know what that means. I had no idea what that word meant. It's a slang, from what I understand, it's a slang word for technique that you use in soccer or football. You like to say, yeah, we're going to go do some techers, go and do some skills, some technique. Is that right? Is that how you'd say it? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, I think even in, it's a very much, um, it's very much like owned by football, you know? There's a kid who's just like, oh, serious techers. And it's like, you hear like loads of like grind people like Skepta and stuff like saying it in their songs. They'll just like bounce along to a tune and just like you see the word techers come up being like, yeah, that's funny. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was the kind of word which 
was no way associated with cycling whatsoever. Because in my in my head, right, like cycling's always been like very proper, like elegant and like serious and traditional. And I was just like, nah, man. Like I respect all those values and everything, but there's so many things we're clinging onto which I just wanna I wanna bounce from. And I just like I wanted to create something that was so separate from that, and like almost offends those people. Like if you're getting offended by it, you know you're in too deep. All in all, right. One of the reasons I started the team was there's a few reasons. But one was that I wanted to offer an alternative path to cyclists that, you know, had the potential to go on to big things like world tour or whatever. But like the, the normal pathway wasn't for them or they'd been denied by it. For example, like when I was a kid, I really wanted to get on like the national development team. But I never was quite good enough. Um, and what was amazing with those guys is that they sorted me out of a coach so that I could like still kind of train with the team, but not be on the team and stuff. And in my head, it was like I had the opportunity to try and prove all the people that said, no, you're not good enough to be on this team wrong and be better than them. But they were helping me do that. You know, the people that said no were helping me do that. And I was like, that's amazing, man. Like I could never, never be more thankful or, you know, sort of return the favor. And I was like, well, why don't I just try and like channel that energy into like, helping some kids that perhaps were just not quite good or didn't have the right resources or knowledge or training when they were like 15, 16. And maybe in like two years with me, they might be on that road. And like, I see that happening now. So um, I was like racing for like some clubs and stuff, right? And like some teams and like when I was like just racing Red Hook. And to be honest, like the whole like Instagram wave of everything kind of started annoying me. Like everyone, felt, it was almost like everyone felt like they, they were owed something for free or like, you know, like, oh, you should give me this bike for free. And I was posting on my Instagram. It's like, oh, this is not sustainable. This isn't going to work. So I was like, you know what? I just want to be like golf and do my own thing and be held accountable for my own actions. It's like, if something's, if something's gone wrong, it's my fault. And I just wanted that to be the case for a little bit and just do my own thing. Long story short, I rang up some mates who like were like really good cyclists. And I was like, you need to start riding a bike again because you can still be sick. And um, mm. I got them together. Guys who had stepped off the bike. Yeah. So like, I'd like Ben Sumner who was like, some of them just, you know, they tried it for a year and went, you know what, bro, I'm out. And I was like, wicked. Well, now we all know. I'm never going to bother you again about it. There's like my mate Ben Sumner, he was like super sick. So I, I rang him up and um, he was like, yeah, all right, I'll give it a try. And I rang up my mate Simon and got my mate Neil Phillips, who's still on the team tackers actually. And um, yeah, we just went, let's just try and do our own thing and have some fun. And then we'll try and engage with some sponsors and be like, we'll do whatever you put in, we'll give you twice as much back. So it's sustainable for you. So it's like, we don't want anything, any, anything yet. Like just want some stuff to loan. Don't want any money. Just let us prove what the model is like. And if you want to support it, we'll go from there. How'd you do that? How'd you, how'd you prove it to them? It's kind of like, it's for them to decide that, right? It's just like, well, we're going to, you're going to give us like not much and we're going to make a lot with it. And they're going to go, all right, cool. Well, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of how they do marketing to compare it to. So like, and I have like calls with people now and they're like, yeah, out of everyone, like the numbers we get when you guys like do something is like beyond everyone else's. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, and what those numbers mean, I don't exactly know. You know, like I'm no marketing expert or anything, but I'm just like, I kind of look at stuff and I go, if I was going to watch an advert or something, how would I want to watch it? Well, I watched it and went, that was sick. I don't, I don't want to buy it or maybe I do now. But when I watch it, I don't feel like I've watched an advert. I just like watched something cool and I went, yeah, I've, got, I've, I've built some rapport towards that brand now or that product or whatever. But you don't yeah. really realise, you know, it's just like, it doesn't, it's not taxing on the person watching it. And I think we've just kind of done that well enough now that people are like, yeah, cool, we'll keep doing it. But anyway, going back a few steps. In terms of the team name, right? There was loads of things around like collective and stuff like that. And I was like, ah, this is all just a bit like, you know, cool and whatever and blah, blah, blah. And I went, yeah. how can I make something which is actually slightly a bit of a piss take, but also like I'm actually being serious at the same time. And I was like, well, Tech is CC. Everyone's going to think it's called Cycling Club. And I was like, why don't I just call it Cycling Charisma? And everyone would be like, what? <laughs> are, you being, are you being serious? Yeah. And I'd be like, I'm not, but I am at the same time. And I want you to work out which one it is. So I called it Techers like Charisma and people look at me and go, did you really just call your team Charisma? And I'm like, yeah, bro. <laughs> it's just funny, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> it's just like, okay, I don't know, you're a, bit, you're a bit weird, but cool. And I'm just like, well, make up your mind. And I kind of just wanted it to be so questionable that whenever someone looks at it, they just have to like work out for themselves what, you know, 
what the team means to them. And like they can they can approach it how they want and they can build their own rapport with it. Like I don't want it to be pigeonholed. I just want people to like have their own relationship with the brand. I call it a brand rather than a team. And then like one day I hope that like like I want to sell like art prints in like an art gallery of kit and stuff. So then people can walk in there and be like, it's some really cool art. Oh, it's just cycling. Oh, cool. Yeah, I don't care about cycling, but I like this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with you lot. And all of a sudden they start buying cycling caps, you know, or they buy like a phone case which has like the techers team print on it and they'll be like what is this i don't know but i like it and i just i want those sort of random interactions with the team to just develop naturally over the years and hopefully it's become like this this weird community which doesn't make sense but everyone has a good time but what's mad is that it went from me just trying to help like juniors and people like myself who like kind of messed up and whatever to like having olympians on the team and like world champions who are like yeah can i come ride with you because my pathway to the olympics is is safer and more enjoyable with you than riding with a world tour team. And I was like, this is mad. Like, this is actually working. So, yeah, now it's got to that point where I'm like, I've got like, and then Paralympian, an Olympian, Emma Barker's just left, but she was like Olympian, an Olympic gold medalist and world champion. She's gone to like a world tour team. Um, and then like Ben Tudor was on the team. He's now racing for Ineos. Like, it's, it's mad. Like the riders that have come through and now, what's even better about that is riders that I thought were so sick as kids who were like, you know, when like 13 and have like great techers on a bike, but weren't ever quite there. Like now being on a team is like motivate them to train harder. And now I see like this kid on our team, Benji Tupner, like he was always a wicked kid, man. Such a nice guy. So cool. He's like the coolest 15 year old you've ever met in your life. But he's like 16, 17 now. And like his goal was to get onto like a UCI development team next year. And like, I never would have thought that for him like, a couple of years ago, but now I believe yeah. it more than anything. And I'm like, with him just rolling with us and like me paying one of the other riders on the team to train him, like, he's putting in all the work and he has, there's, there's no reason he should. And I just love that. It sounds like, you know, I could be reading between the lines here, but it sounds like, cause I definitely face this myself, but this balance of growing up, you spoke about this too, this, these pressures as you're like a young teenager or, you know, early adult, balancing growing up because i think there it might sound like to people listening like oh yeah you just you just want to go out and party that's an important part of life going to university something that i was able to do and i'll never change that because i think that's in that pinnacle part of your life where you need to experience everything you don't need to go across to for an australian i think was go across to italy lock yourself down in a small apartment and live that pursuit to be a pro life even though that is the most obvious choice to become professional I don't turn back anything that I did because it's it's those life skills that I learned. Yeah, getting pissed and you know having to report in and go to uni, all that stuff. It sounds fun and games, but it's taking responsibility in yourself. And what I sound sounds like to me, two things from this team, and you can tell me if this is right or wrong, is the balance of growing up. You know, the social aspect of trying to be professional and following a dream to be a cyclist. You're trying to balance that and let them understand these young guys that look, we're going to pursue this dream in, in a fun way, but you're also going to experience life because if that doesn't happen with cycling, you're not going to fall out of it and just be this like lost person who's gone, well, now I'm like 22 and I missed, you know, like five, six years of my life. I think becoming more rounded people. Completely, man. Like one of the reasons I set up the team is that I wanted to give younger riders the information to go out and make their own choices with just a little more help. Like, I'm never going to tell them what they should and shouldn't be doing. But like, for example, I wish I had like amazing coaches and stuff helping me. I didn't come from a cycling family, but like having that kind of voice of relatable reason, you know, it's not like voice of reason, it's like voice of reason that you can relate to. And it's like, look, man, I understand that you probably want to go out and like try and get that girl you've been chasing since school and like with all your mates at the weekend and whatever. But like, if you've got this big race in three weeks time, you're about to go and whack a load of training in go out, just don't go out for these three weeks and then go out the week after your race. And it's like, mm. it's it's little things like that, which, you know, I wish I'd known. I wish I had someone like just putting it in a way which I could understand as a kid, you know? And I was just like, yeah, I just, I just want to help kids make the right decisions and also help them understand their mistakes. And it's just like, if I can do that, you know, then it's like part of it is, of course, like me writing my own wrongs. I don't want to live through them, you know? Like It's just like, oh, if they can like, not make the same mistakes I did, that would be so cool because they'll be one step closer to maybe making it. So it's like, it's kind of in that 
pretty. What about the technical, like the actual name now, the technical aspect of it? Because I think that's something, and I'm banging on about this all the time, the lost art of, you know, racecraft and bike handling skills. You, you can see it in the World Tour right now because exactly what you said, everyone's focused on the numbers, you know, like can you push the numbers? And we'll work out how to race a bike later on. Don't worry about that. Once you get to the World Tour, work out how to race. This is the craziest thing now. We see all these crashes in the bunch and yeah, I could be right or could be wrong, but I'm sticking to my guns here. I really do think it's a loss of the race craft. You know, this, this going out on doing a whole bunch of different racing, track, cross, mountain bike, whatever it is, and learning how to race, going down and doing the, like you said, the, the Herne Hill races, whatever that race is, just racing your, your ass off, going to race finishes. That's what I feel like you're also trying to create in Tekkers. It's like, not maybe that is the, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is that's where the name is sort of putting some influence in. But you were a guy who just had so much technical skill that maybe that allowed you to do more on the bike than your physical skill. Um, I don't know. Am I, am I? No, you're completely right. You're 100% right. Like if I went back to the original deck and like reasons yeah. I'm part of this team, like to list them, I, don't want, I didn't want to sound boring, but to list them, like one was, to give kids an alternative path. Two was that I thought there was way too much focus on numbers and I wanted not kids to neglect and like prioritize being skillful on a bike, but I wanted to put an emphasis on that because I felt like everyone else was putting an emphasis on numbers and aerodynamics. And I went, we're going to try and like, you know, do it for the other side here. And we're just going to focus on tech is like, we're not saying forget about numbers. Like those things are important, but as equally as important is like, mm. don't owning your yeah. craft like having fun, being able to like fix your own bike, enjoying it and getting the balance right. Like yeah. everything you've said is like, is, you've nailed it. So like for you to look at that, that's like made me like, oh man, hopefully I'm doing it right then. Because if you look at any, all the things you've said and you've gone, is this how it is? Like that's exactly how I want it to be perceived. So yeah, man, you've nailed it. And the fact that you've been able to like see that, it makes me pretty stoked. So that's cool, man. Let's talk about another cool thing about this team and something that I'm pretty obsessed with is Kit. And you spoke about it a little bit before because you're like, I want to do the art gallery. And we only really just brushed on that. But when we met up in London, you brought a little cap along for me. I was like, oh, this is sick. I actually didn't really know about Tekkers at all then. But I've since learned about it because I took it home and showed my kids this hat. And it was like this sweet design. And that's what I love about the team too. It's got this awesome sort of standout design. And that's what you said. It's not just about the cycling team and what goes into the tradition of the cycling team. You also want to create a bit of a brand around this and, and something that people can see who aren't cycling fans and want to be involved with. What's, what's all that about with the design and the design of the kids? Is that from you or how's this come about? Yeah, man, I just, I just like doing it. It's fun. You know, it's like, it's like for example, like, I, I love your hat. It's sitting on the smiley face guy behind me. But like, it's like, you know, when I look at like what you've done with Life of the Peloton, I look at that and I go, that's so sick, man. I love that. And it's like, I think in the same way where people, I was kind of interested in like football kits as a kid. I don't really have much of an interest in football, but like if I was ever going to go and buy like a token of like a memory from a, you know, somewhere a country I went to, I want to buy the local football shirt because it's just like the design is so like iconic and like it's theirs. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know what? If you see a red and black stripe, you go, that's AC Milan. Or the white with like, you know, a little bit of purple, like, yeah, Real Madrid. Like, I don't I don't know anything about the teams, but just that kind of association. And I was like, well, I personally, I think kits and like supporting your favourite cycling team should be like a big thing. Like, I think we have a lot to learn from like soccer and football. It's like, there's that mm. kind of tribalism of like, yeah, and that kind of club, almost like in the same way it preys on like, you know, religion and tribalism and kind of stuff, like, a lot of those things I do not agree with in you know how they run, but the idea of like supporting a team and a club and like representing it, I think is really nice. And there's something really wholesome about it. And it's like the idea in cycling that the names are always sponsor names. Like that, that pisses me off. I'm like, why, why imagine if like Mapite and Quickstep, yeah, were just called the Wolfpack from day dot. Everyone in the world would know what Wolfpack was. They'd be like, yep, yeah, that's the greatest cycling team that ever lived or something, right? And they'd be like, yeah, that's iconic. That's iconic forever. Back in 18, whatever, that guy won seven Tour de France or something stupid. Like, but because there's always these breaks and these jumps and, you know, sky to Ineos, like that rapport gets lost along the way. And what I want to do is like, I'll never, ever change the name to a sponsor name. Like there's a, there's a chance it could go Tekkers, you know, something. 
but techers will always remain as the predominant name in like the team brand and they can always associate and be affiliated with that. And so with that, I was like, well, how can I further extend that? And I was like, let's make sick kit. I, I want to ride in cool kit. I don't want it to be like plastered in sponsors and I want us to be the direction of how it looks. So like the last kit, I just like basically got a load of paint and just poured it all over some paper and I went, I'm just going to keep doing this until I see something that's sick and chose the colours and then it came out and all of a sudden like painting shoes and like sunglasses and stuff like I'm just like working on loads of random stuff and people were like, yeah, man, you're building out a brand. It's, it's cool. And like, this is, look, check this out. I know people can't see this, but like, that's how I decided what the color palette was. I was like, yeah, they're the color. Yeah, this is just like, I'll explain it and we'll put this up on the, um, on the show notes. It's just, it's just like blobs of like really bright sort of like, um, almost like prime sort of, prime sort of colors, aren't they? And they just sort of nicely merged together. It's, it's pretty simple, but it's very, very effective. Where does the, what is the, um, as this is always the big question, isn't it? What does the future look like? You know, is this something you see long term? And obviously, I think, and can you, is, you know, is it something that gets bigger or is it something that stays bubbling away at this level? Because always bigger isn't always better. Yeah, 100%. I'm not, I, I always said this will never, I never want my team to be a UCI or World Tour team. Like, because, I, where where it lives now is just completely flexible. Like I can bend to anyone's needs. Like I can help an under sixteen year old, a sixteen year old junior, and a you know a world tour Olympian. And like the position it is in, like, if I went to like a world tour team or something, I couldn't do that. So I just wanted to maintain this like club slash team slash brand, which no one understands ever what it is, and just like constantly be evolving and moving and adapting to the people that are involved in it really and i think that's the, the best way to do it and like the way i keep that momentum going is by like, yeah doing different kit releases and stuff like look at motor racing and stuff like that like i love motor racing deliveries especially like the retro ones and it's like seeing how like for example like how someone like yamaha has evolved from going from the classic yellow with like the black block stripes to now they're in like blue and stuff like you can slowly build from different colors and different designs and people can kind of like follow that path and that's kind of what I'll do with the team, man. I think it'd be cool. Mm. Mate, it's been awesome to talk to you today. Um, I've only just really got a little insight to the team and where you've come from and I'm sure everyone's going to follow the the future of the team and um, get across to Hearn Hill and probably jump themselves into a into a bunchy when they get a chance. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's been it's always good chatting to you, so I appreciate it, man. I'll wait, wait, hold up a minute. Before we go, before we go, I've got to ask you. So last time we spoke and sat down, you were thinking about setting up something yourself. I haven't pursued anything more. I was talking about setting up a little club up here in, or club or small team up here in Lansfield. The only thing I have done where I'm, I'm in country Lansfield, I've been down to my club, Brunswick, and re, reacquainted myself. And the way it works here in um, Australia is you race the track in the summer and you race the road in the winter. And one thing they made evident to me is that it's really difficult they get the Brunswick clinic is is firing they're getting you know hundreds of kids down there on the Sunday morning and kids are loving the clinic get to the winter and not many kids are traveling it's sort of a you know an hour out of Melbourne not many kids are traveling up to the country it's pretty gnarly weather up here which I'm about to find out this year and you know they said it's really difficult to get we only get a few coming across so what I'd love to do my goal this year is to be that point out here in the country I'm out here anyway get them out here and just be that link to from the track to the road someone to come out here and show them the ropes and whatever that is i'm not exactly sure but that's that's my goal at the moment um and we did speak about this idea of creating um loosely a version of techers out here myself but one thing i have noticed is i've just got no bloody time at this point but one, one, one thing i want to do is just learn the australian scene again being away from Australia for so long I sort of I guess romanticize what it's really like and I need to understand what the world is back here again because cycling's gone forward leaps and bounds since I was here 15 years ago and so it's it's a new sort of people aren't doing the things I used to do going getting sponsored by bike shops and hopefully getting you know, a bike every now and again yeah you know, like you said there's a lot more money in the sport and maybe it's just bringing it back down a level and going back to the original things like 
It's not about trying to get the best next carbon fiber bike and making sure you've got an SRM. It's learning how to race. Forget about that. And beating the next guy on a carbon bike, but because you can beat him on an old steely because you know how to race. But like, imagine like you, you have no idea how stoked the kid would be to be learning that stuff off you though. Like, you know, you're a normal cool guy who's like race at the world tour. By the way, I like listening to your podcast and stuff and like, you know, I know you'll be amazing at this because just the way you talked about the thought process of going through your last race and doing that race that we had to like test your, your arm was okay. I can't remember what the race was, but before Roubaix and stuff, like it's being able to like translate that to kids and like riders, which is, you can't, you can't buy that, you know, like you can't buy that from a bike shop or something like you just setting something up and going, if you want to come chat to me, let's go from there. We'll do these kids. It'll blow their mind. You won't, you won't understand how much that will help for them. You know? Just start it, man. Just do it and see what happens. 100%, you got to do it. It'll be one of the sickest things and so many kids will just be hyped off of it. Just do it. I'm saying it now. Mitch Docker's Beautiful. Well, mullet, mullet club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first and live from the Peloton. And uh, mate, thanks for, thanks for putting it back on me. I loved it. Thank you so much for the chat. It was sick. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I found it not only very insightful, it was refreshing hearing his thoughts because we are very like-minded, especially now that I've settled back into Australia and I'm starting to understand what he's trying to create, this cycling environment. And like I spoke about, something that Rafa has tried to create and continually trying to create all around the world, not only in London. I'm really happy that I'm connected with them, not only with the podcast, But with the company, with the ideas they're trying to do, going to these events in Australia, representing Rafa, going to their events, going to meet people coming to these events who have come there for the love of cycling. Well, next week we've got Alec on Talking Luft. So until then, guys, I look forward to hearing from you. A big thanks, of course, to our title sponsor, Rafa, Will Jones, who produces this episode, and Lara, who's helping me at Life in the Peloton. And of course, you guys for listening too. Until next week, guys, cheers. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.